So uh, here at Abundant Life, if you haven't been with us in a while, we've been journeying through a sermon series that uh, we have titled The Upside Down Kingdom. We've been looking at the Sermon on the Mount and how God's ways are so different than the ways of the world. And when we align to them and we al- when we align to him as our king, he turns our world upside down or you could argue right side up. We're going to take a break for that sermon, from that sermon series for several weeks now as we head into uh, our Easter sermon series, Living Hope. But we will get back to it. And today, before we get into the Easter sermon series, Kevin, he is here to share with us. If you don't know Kevin, um, Kevin's been around here an awful long time. I'm old. He was at one time, mm-hmm. he was at one time our youth leader here at, at Abundant Life. He has served in a lot of leadership roles. He's on our board right now as an elder. He works at the Christian Children's Home of Ohio, so he's the executive director there. It's a wonderful organization that God is using to do just amazing things, and it just keeps growing. And the impact that God's allowing you to have continues to grow. Amen. How many employees are there now? 180, so that's a lot to keep track of, right? So um, we're, we're fortunate enough to uh, partner with CCHO in different ways. But I always love to hear what Kevin uh, has going on in his own heart and soul that God's doing you know, in and through him. Um, one thing that I really appreciate about Kevin is he has a passion, I think, for others to be living out their calling in Christ to be not shackled by fear, recognizing how greatly loved they are, and going, stepping out in faith and following Jesus wholeheartedly. So that's my whole sermon. Thanks. Goodbye, everybody. Bam. So that was good. That was it right there. So, yeah. Thanks. Another thing I like about <laughs> Kevin, too, there's never a dull moment with Kevin. He's always laughing and just, hey, one of our core values that we want to have here is, is joy, joyfulness. He, he exudes that. So let's give him a warm, abundant life welcome. Man, that's a little scary. Thank you for that, Shane. It's a little scary, though. You might want to reserve some of that judgment for about 25 minutes. But anyways, um, so I am really excited to be here. Uh, actually, I really, really mean that this time. I say that a lot of times when I get up and speak. <laughs> But I really, really mean that because on Wednesday night, uh, I was this week at the Association for Christian Child Care Administrators in con- annual meeting in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, Black Mountain Children's Home is down there, and it's a beautiful uh, children's home. And so I went to sleep on Wednesday night, uh, fully expecting to get up and go work out on Thursday morning because I was getting to come home on Thursday morning because on Wednesday night, I actually changed my flight so I could come home. Uh, Thursday night, and so I was going to get to see uh, my wife and my, and my kids earlier, and so I was excited. Uh, was not expecting to get up at 5 o'clock with a pain in my stomach, and that quickly turned into a pain radiating around uh, my back, and quickly turned around to, quickly turned into me being um, visiting the bathroom for an extended period of time, uh, which quickly turned into I'm in Asheville, North Carolina. My wife is not here. I'm in a hotel room by myself. What do you do? And so I quickly became a doctor because now we have, <laughs> now we have cell phones that have all this information. So I start looking everything up. And it, first thing I thought was appendicitis. Good news about that for you guys that are nurses in the medical field. Appendicitis is supposedly on the right side. My pain was on the left side. 
quickly pointed that out, right? So then it became thinking, my kidney is exploding. So I'm going to probably <laughs> have some issues there. So then I did remember that the night before, I had actually walked down to the Biltmore Village, which was right beside our hotel, and I did see a stat care, right? Literally across the street from the stat care. So unfortunately, it wasn't open till 8 o'clock. So I had three hours to try to figure out how to... Um, I won't even go into the gory details. It was not good. It was just a lot of pain. Actually, I spent most of the time like this. And then I was like this. And then I was like this. And then I was like this. And then, and it, it, literally, if anybody's ever had a kidney stone, you cannot get comfortable. That is so much pain. And so I finally got to the urgent care. And then they ask you the nine million questions as you're in total pain. I mean, I, I literally had thoughts of homicide. That I was like, just let me see the doctor. That's all I wanted. And uh, then finally the doctor finally got to see me, and he did check the blood, and they said, oh, you have a kidney stone. And I'm like, okay, some relief. And then they tell you, they come in with these two needles, and then they tell you something like, that is totally impossible. The guy goes, these, we're going to use both these needles. One is pain pill, one's for the nausea. But you know what, it does, it's going to hurt like crazy. And oh, yeah, by the way, don't tense up. All right, you just told me it's going to hurt and burn like crazy and don't tense up. And then you're going to put it in my rear end that I can't even see. So, okay, I'm going to be just really calm here. Not only was I not calm, but when he took the alcohol swab, which was cold, I jumped five feet when he, hit the, when he did the, the alcohol swab. So, but I do have to give a plug in for the Hilton. This was absolutely amazing. So we were at the Doubletree at Hilton in Asheville. Uh, North Carolina, they actually, which also was a kind of a funny, I can't imagine at 8 o'clock when I came down to the front desk what I look like. I'm like, can I get a ride across the street? <laughs> and they're like, what? Can I get a ride to the urgent care? Like, oh, yeah, we'll help you. And so Salem, their general manager, literally took me across the street, dropped me off, said, call when, you, when you're done. So I called when I got done. They actually, when he came and picked me up, I said, hey, do you mind taking me to CVS? It's only a couple miles down the road. He's like, no problem. No problem. They took me to CVS, and unfortunately, I had to wait 20 minutes, so I came out, and I said, Salem, you can go, or I can walk. I mean, it's two miles I can walk now because I had medication. I was feeling good. Um, <laughs> and he said, no, we can stay. I'll just check emails. So he actually stayed, took me back to the hotel. By the time I got back to the hotel in Asheville, they had a card in my room that said, Mr. Hewitt, we hope you feel better. So I went then, I had like the last hour of the conference, so I went, which was really kind of funny because I went totally medicated to the last hour of the conference, so I really have no remembrance of what I said, but um, everybody seemed to like it, but, um, so, but when I came back to my room, they literally had a plate of crackers and ginger ale waiting for me when I got back to my room, so Hey, I realize that they might cost a couple more dollars, but I'm a Hilton fan for the rest of my life. So, um, so anyways, uh, and then I didn't realize that this whole passing of a kidney stone. Do we have any people in the kidney stone club out there that have had? Oh, so you guys all know what I'm talking about then. Yeah. So you get through all this like three days of total ridiculousness, and you actually pass it because you have to pee in a strainer, which is another unique thing. So you actually pass, and it's like this big. And you're like, that's what's been causing this whole pain, and you just want to kill. But anyways, it actually, I don't, no, no, no. Actually, Lori said that her kidney stone was the only thing that came close to actually having a baby. 
And, you know, I think that every male should have to have a kidney stone then. Just, no. I can say that now. I can say that now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is not. That is not. Hey, so anyways, it really is an honor and privilege to be here with you this morning. And it's always a little intimidating to follow Shane and his wonderful preaching on the upside-down kingdom. And I'm ne- definitely not going to be breaking into song while preaching like Brandon did on how we worship. I still have no idea how he did that. I don't know if you guys, that is really hard to do, and I won't. Actually, it would be kind of funny if I did. So, but I am going to be sharing a little of what God has been working on in my life, and which I believe will fit very nicely with Shane's upside-down kingdom preaching. And that is, when my worth, hope, security, and identity is found in Jesus Christ, I am free to be the person that God designed me to be. So let me repeat that. So my worth, hope, security, and identity is found in Jesus Christ. I am free to be the person God intended me to be. Free to the person that God designed me to be. Freedom to love like Jesus. And I heard this definition about love that I'm really starting to unpack and really, really like. To love someone is to always fight for their highest good. Think about that for a while. To love someone is to always fight for their highest good. Jesus loved us. Did he fight for our highest good? He fought for eternity for us. When I walk into a room, if I actually have the idea that I want to fight for somebody's highest good, imagine if your employer, every time they saw you, that they were fighting for your highest good. Even take it back. Imagine if your wife or your spouse, your husband... Your spouse, we're always fighting for your highest good. Imagine if your kids felt that you were always fighting for their highest good. Would that be a little difference in the world? Man. Free to live without fear, knowing that as Apostle John wrote in 1 John 4, perfect love casts out fear. And it's interesting, Shane brought that up, and we sang a couple of songs about fear. But Erwin McManus has a new book out called The Way of the Warrior, and he writes this. He, being Jesus, also said, do not be afraid. If worry, if worry wars against our peace, fear is perhaps an even greater foe. When, our li- when we live our lives afraid, it creates turmoil and chaos within us. Fear is the enemy of peace. While worry will rob our joy, fear will steal our freedom. For what we fear establishes the boundaries of our freedom. On the other side of your fears is your freedom. Free to understand my worth. Free to hope. Free to find my security in Jesus. And free to find my identity in Jesus. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we are uh, grateful that we have the opportunity to come before you, to worship you through music, to worship you through words to worship you through our lives. Lord, I ask that you just fill this place with your spirit. Lord, I ask that it would be more than information, that we would be transformed by your word, by your love, by your amazing, amazing grace. Father, I pray that you would give me the words to say, the heart to say I'm with. I pray that you would allow the people hearing this to hear what you want them to hear that they would be moved, not because of what I say, but because of who you are and what you're doing in their lives. Lord, um, bless this time. Be with the teachers downstairs. Allow them to love on those kids, to help, to live, to hope for their highest, to work for their highest good. Bless this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
So does anybody, I hope nobody actually knows anybody other than who I'm talking about. Does anybody know who died on November 30th, 2018? Does anybody remember? November 30th, 2018? President Bush. Very good. Shane gets up. I have nothing to give you. Anyways, um, <laughs> Shane is correct. President George H.W. Bush passed away on November 30th of last year. And I read, you know, as you... As, as you know, a president passed away, I want to find out stuff, so I, of course, go to the Internet and start Googling articles about the president and see who he was and stuff. And Money Magazine had uh, an article that they ran on the former president's net worth. And that was actually the article, its title. George, president George H.W. Bush's net worth. And it made me curious. What is the definition of net worth? In accounting... It's a person's assets minus their liabilities. So does that mean when we come to the end of this life, we are simply a measurement of our assets minus our liabilities? What if we got rid of the word net in that question? Is our worth based simply on our assets minus our liabilities? Is our worth based on our assets? How much money we have, the car we drive, is our worth based on the address we live at? Or is our worth based on how good we look, how tall we are? Is our worth based on how much the scale says in the morning when we step on it? Or for you that are adventurous enough, those that step on it at night. Is our worth based on our spouse? Our boyfriend, our girlfriend, is our worth based on who we hang out with? Is our worth based on our children, on how they perform in school, in sports? You know, Shane mentioned last Sunday about, you know, how parents act at uh, uh, sporting events and um, I had no idea what he was talking about because I've actually been thrown out at a couple of sporting events. So it was actually the ref's fault. But anyways, um, is our worth based on how they perform in school, in sports? Is our worth based on the grades we receive in school, in college? Is our worth based on what letters follow our name? Is our worth based on how we volunteer to serve others? Is our worth based on how much we give to charity, including ALCF? Is our worth based on our creativeness, our music ability, our athletic ability, to jump high, to run fast? Is our worth based on our wittiness, our ability to make others laugh? Is our worth based on the job, the vocation we're in? Is it based on how much salary we make? Is it based on a title? How about, is it based on the size of our office? Is our worth based on the number of likes we receive on our social media posts? Or the number of followers we have? on our social media posts, not necessarily people following, that's a little creepy. But 
Well, I guess they're both are. Or how about, is our worth based on our lack of liabilities? Is our worth based on not sinning? Is our worth based on not swearing? Not being a drunk? Not smoking? Is our worth based on our words not being mean or cruel? Is our worth based on not being greedy, not holding grudges? Is our worth based on forgiveness? Is our worth really assets, our assets minus our liabilities? I think deep, deep down, all of us struggle with understanding our worth. Let me ask you straight out. What are you worth? What are you worth? Are you worthy? Am I worthy? I hope each of you sitting here this morning realize that you are indeed worthy. But your worth is really not found and anything that I just mentioned previously. And I think for some of us, I would actually argue for all of us to say we are indeed worthy. Well, sometimes that's extremely difficult to even say, as we know ourselves the best. We know when we're good, we know when we're bad. And we know when we are just downright ugly. But here's where the upside down kingdom comes in. You see, you, me, we are indeed worthy because of what Jesus Christ did. Romans 5.8 says, but, while, but God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It is not because of any of your assets or your lack of liabilities that you are worthy, but because of God's own incredible love for you. Jesus, in a couple of stories that Ron read earlier from Luke 15, describes how much we are worth to God. First, the story of the lost sheep. Starting at verse 1. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. And I'm telling you, like, I love Jesus, but there's sometimes that Jesus is like even cooler than you even think. Because look at what he does here. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, So he's already, the, the, the scribes and the Pharisees are complaining. So I just see this picture of Jesus, like, complain again. Well, I just happen to have a story for you now. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. 
I say to, say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And it's interesting, this is what Jesus' response is to the Pharisees complaining about him receiving sinners. And it's also such a great picture of God who is willing to leave the 99 for the one who is lost. God himself taking the initiative to seek sinners. I think the shepherd's response is also very poignant here. He lays the sheep on his shoulders and rejoices. Shepherd doesn't berate the sheep for being lost. He isn't disgusted with him for making poor choices. He rejoices. The God of the universe rejoices when you are found. Think about that. God is not disgusted with you. He rejoices when you're found. And it's also interesting as Jesus is also able to slip in a little ironic challenge to the Pharisees and the scribes. Because you remember, as Shane even preached about last week, they were the righteous dudes of that day. And he actually says there will be more excitement over one sinner who repents than the 99 who feel there is no need to change the way they are thinking. That's kind of a mic drop right there from Jesus. Verse 8 begins the second story that Jesus illustrates the Father's love for us. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. It's interesting. Scholars believe that this coin was actually the Greek coin, a drachma, which is a Greek, Greek coin comparable to the Roman denarius. This is all stuff you guys will remember tomorrow. Which was worth about a day's wages. It was also common for women to wear um, ten drachmas as a garland around their necks. And so in this picture, what many of the scholars think is this lady had actually lost one of the drachmas from the garland around her necks. And also in those days, in Jesus' days, the homes were uh, one room, no windows, and the floors were dirt. So when they said she had to search for the drachma, she had to do some work. First, she had to light the lamp. Has anybody ever tried to search for something in dirt? It is not a real easy thing to do. And so she's sweeping dirt to find a coin that is hard to find. But it is a picture, that woman diligently lighting a lamp, sweeping the dirt floor and searching carefully is a picture of how diligent God is in searching for us. Again, the reaction of the woman in finding the lost coin is one of rejoicing even asking her friends and neighbors to rejoice with her. There is a party in heaven when one sinner repents. I don't think we understand like, how cool that has to be. When one sinner, when one of us recognizes our need for Jesus Christ, our need to understand that our worth comes from what Jesus Christ has done for us, there is a party in heaven for that. One more thing about the sheep and the coin. There was nothing they could do to be found. Well, I guess the sheep could have wandered around until he happened upon the shepherd in the other 99. 
but it doesn't even say it was looking to be found. And of course, there wasn't anything the coin had could have done to be found. And just like us, there is nothing we can do to be of more worth to Christ. I think for so many of us, we think that we have to get our stuff right and that Jesus is over here and I have to get my stuff right before I come to Jesus. When Jesus is actually saying, I want to be in your stuff. I want to be in those challenges that you're living. I want to be in those addictions that you're struggling with. I want to be there with you. And that is a scary feeling. Because that means we have to open ourselves up to have the creator of the universe come in and walk alongside us. But that's what he wants us to do. And isn't that the coolest thing in the world? That the creator of the universe loves me enough that he wants to walk through with me through the junk? We're worthy because of what God has done for us. You know, the most famous verse, I think, of course, is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What an unbelievable promise that whoever believes. But oftentimes we neglect to read the following verse, which says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through the world, through Jesus might be saved. That is the greatest gift ever, ever sent. And I'm fortunate, I think sometimes we as Christians, I as a Christian, make it not as the greatest gift ever because of the way I act. And sometimes I wonder if the way I act doesn't, for the people in the world, doesn't think that I'm condemning them. And here in scriptures it said, God did not send his son into the world to condemn it, but that it might be saved. And those, man, there's things in my life, do people see the Jesus in my life that's reflected in those scriptures? I pray so. How worthy are you? Let's look at what David says about himself in Psalms 139. You know, it's interesting. Sometimes there's like a common thing going around now of repeating some things to yourself. And sometimes we get a little cautious because of the fact there is, you know, all these things of, oh, you're just talking about things about yourself or stuff. But David's actually writing the Psalms, talking about himself. So let's look at 139, verses 13 through 18. For you formed my inward parts, you covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are your works, and that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth, your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. In your book they are all were written. The days fashioned for me when as yet there were none of them. How precious also are your thoughts to me, O God! How great is the sum of them! If I should count them, they would be more in number than the sand. When I awake, I am still with you. Verse 14, David says he will praise God for he is fearfully and wonderfully made. And this was after David did some really, really bad stuff. And we don't have time to go through all that. would love to walk you through it if you'd want to. But I think that in the midst of knowing myself well, is it easy to praise God for being fearfully and wonderfully made? When I seem to sin repeatedly, often after confession and attempts of repentance, can I still say, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes, because here's another aspect of God's making us worthy. 
you will never forsake us. Hebrews 13.5 states, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Believers can be in content in every situation because of this promise. Five negatives are utilized in this statement to emphasize the impossibility of Christ deserting believers. It is like saying, there is absolutely no way whatsoever I will ever, ever leave you, is what that verse is saying. Yes, I am worthy because of what God has done for me through God's love, Jesus' death, and indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I am worthy because I have been chosen by God. Colossians 3, 12 through 15 says, Put on then God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony, and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body, and be thankful. So our worth is based on God loving us while we're yet sinners, desperately seeking us like, sh- like the sheep in the coin, God not condemning but saving us, God making us fearfully and wonderfully made, God knowing us, God never leaving or forsaking us, and God choosing us. As we reflect on this list, man, our hearts should be full. Okay, so I'm asking you to do something really, really difficult. Why don't you repeat after me? I am worthy. You are worthy. I am worthy. You are worthy. I don't know about you, but that's hard for me to say at times. It's even hard for me to say in front of people. Is it because we're so humble? Is it because we don't like to toot our own horns? Our own horns? I actually believe that our difficulty in saying I am worthy can be found in Jesus' answer to the question from the scribe described in Mark 12. So starting with verse 28, Mark 12, 28. Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving what he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? Jesus answered him, the first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And this is where I think we find the difficulty and the upside-down kingdom of God. So many times when this section, this section of Scripture is referenced, it's described as the two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. When you, but when you could actually argue, it's either three commandments or we're describing the second one incorrectly. Looking at it as three commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength is one. Love your neighbor is two. And love yourself is three. And if we're interpreting itself incorrectly, we emphasize loving your neighbor instead of loving yourself. And for many of us, myself included, the concept of loving oneself is wrought with danger. 
I don't believe Jesus is asking us to love ourselves as the world defines self-love. And here's the definition of self-love. Regard for one's well-being and happiness, chiefly considered as desirable rather than narcissistic characteristics. So it's even interesting that the definitions actually already say it already considers it narcissistic. Prior to desirable and not narcissistic. Or self-love is an inter- introspective prioritization of self aiming at a deeper love and acceptance of self. So here is how the upside-down kingdom of Jesus defines self-love. True self-love is acceptance of ourselves as redeemed people. Yes, we are loved and accepted, but it's precisely not because we are worthy in ourselves, but because Christ is worthy. Only when we accept the reality of redemption can we find freedom to look outwards. When our gaze is bent inward on ourselves, we fail to love God and cannot hope to love others. So when it says, love, the neighbor, love your neighbors as yourself, is you can't even hope to love others until you understand God's love for you and how passionate he is for you. So that, become, that begs to answer another question. Are you able to accept yourself as a redeemed person? And here's my challenge. A redeemed person who needs to continually seek to become more and more self-aware of our sins, faults, and inadequacies, and seeks to turn those over all over to the Holy Spirit to redeem, to redeem. Can I give you a clue to each and everyone sitting here? You have not arrived. We are all working on our sins, faults, and inadequacies. And when we can humbly admit that, we can humbly become before Jesus and surrender all that, turn all those over to the Holy Spirit to redeem, that's when we become fully alive. And my prayer is that you guys find, you know, in our life group, we have great, great people, and I love getting to know them. And we're just now starting to scratch the surface of being able to be that open, to be that real. Because you know what? There isn't a person sitting to your left or your right that isn't struggling with sins. There isn't a person sitting in front or behind that isn't struggling with sins. And there's definitely not a person standing on this stage that isn't struggling with sins. It's, am I willing to... Have the courage and not be afraid to be really me in front of you being really you. Are you willing to do the hard work of loving your redeemed self enough that you can love your neighbors to really fight for the highest possible good for others? Paul writes in Philippians to esteem others better than yourself. But to do that, you need to understand your worthiness comes from the resurrected Jesus. You are indeed worthy. I am worthy. As Brandon comes up and we get, to, we get ready to close our service, we're going to sing Who You Say I Am. I just want you to remind you of the words from this song. And this is really hard to do, to read a song without singing, but I will get through this. Especially if you, because Brianna's actually going to start um, playing it as I'm reading it. 
Who am I that the highest king would welcome me? I was lost, but he brought me in. Oh, his love for me. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. Free at last, he has ransomed me. His grace runs deep. While I was a slave to sin, Jesus died for me. Yes, he died for me. Who the sun sets free, oh, is free indeed. I'm a child of God. Yes, I am. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. I'm a child of God. I am chosen, not forsaken. I am who you say I am. You are for me, not against me. I am who you say I am. If you have never accepted this freedom found in accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, let today be the day of your salvation. Let this be the day that the Son sets you free. And if you already accepted Jesus and your life is still bound by what others think of you and are struggling with feeling like you are not worthy, that you may have been running from or hiding from God, let this be the day that you realize that God is not disgusted with you. He is much more interested in your tomorrows and your yesterdays. He is for you, not against you. Run to him. Tell him everything. He loves you. Let's pray. Father, I am so grateful that you love me beyond measure, that you know me and you love me, that you know my hurts, my insecurities, my sins, and you love me beyond measure. Father, may everybody understand that our worth is found in you, Jesus. And Lord, if there is anybody here today, that this would be the day that they totally, totally understand that. Lord, we love you. We want to sing our praises to you. We are grateful that we are who you say we are. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.